Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Carly Thomas, and this is You're Not the Only One. Today, we're going to be speaking to John Smith about parental alienation. John is a targeted parent of parental alienation and has felt led to a calling in becoming an activist for related support, knowledge, awareness, and reform. If you're like me and have never heard of parental alienation, it is the process and results of the psychological manipulation of a child into showing unwarranted fear, disrespect, hostility, or emotional cutoff towards a targeted parent. In other words, it's a distinctive form of psychological abuse. It occurs almost exclusively in association with family separation or divorce, particularly where legal action is involved. John felt that it was his divine purpose to become a father. So when his children were dramatically taken away from him in 2015, he went on a mission for the next few years fighting the court system that is so broken. Through his ordeal, John has become a huge advocate for the movement. Chances are, parental alienation is happening to someone that you know or love. Maybe it's even happened to you. I'm so honored that John reached out to me and wanted to address this issue on my podcast. Let's listen and go to that interview now. Hey, John, glad that you're here joining us today. Thank you. Um, I'm really looking forward to talking about this subject. I had never heard of it before, but then after talking with you briefly offline, discovering that it really is an epidemic and it's just so much more common than a lot of people know about. And so I'm so glad that you're going to talk to us about it today and all that you've gone through it personally. So why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Okay, great. Um, happy to be here, by the way. <clears throat> My name is John Smith. I live in Albany, Georgia. I'm a targeted parent of parental alienation, so I speak from uh, firsthand experience. I'm also an activist and you know try to create awareness and reform efforts for the subject. Basically, parental alienation is a form of domestic violence. It's when a child is manipulated to turn against an opposing parent usually is going to occur during a divorce or child custody type situation. It's psychological manipulation and basically just erases children from loving parents and vice versa. Wow. Very intense. Uh, well, you said you, you yourself are a targeted parent. Tell us about your personal experience with it. A little bit about your story. Sure. Um, July 17th of 2015, is basically marks the date that my world changed or that our family's world changed. We just returned from a family vacation. Um, myself, my wife, um, two daughters, son, stepson, and we hadn't even unpacked our bags yet. And the police surrounded our house. Uh, I was issued a, an emergency ex parte change in custody order, which is basically the family court's approval to remove the children from the house. My children were illegally abducted, relocated 500 miles away to another state. A restraining order was placed against me, and I was told if I tried to contact my children that I would go to jail. Um, all of this occurred based on unverified false allegations um, by my ex-wife, which were supported by the family court system. Wow. Wow. And so how does this stuff happen? How is this even possible? Well, it stems from childhood trauma. In this case, my ex uh, had some issues with her own caregivers. 
and those issues could range from from person to person. They could be um, abandonment issues, physical abuse, emotional abuse, or sexual abuse. When this person becomes an adult, uh, they're still carrying the weight and the baggage of this childhood trauma. They start having children of their own, and they uh, develop uh, feelings of inadequacy, and they usually act out destructive to the marriage. Maybe it's overspending or adultery or uh, some combination or substance abuse, suicidal tendencies, stuff like that. At the time that this happened, I was remarried. Basically, my ex had left the picture years ago. She just, just I guess, couldn't accept the uh, responsibilities of, of parenting, had some issues of her own, you know, stemming from her own childhood trauma. And so basically she abandoned the family. I was a single father for six years. And then once I remarried, that's when the ex returned back into the picture with the false allegations. And started manipulating the children. Can you speak a little bit about how that that started to creep in? Sure, yeah. Um, I guess I'll call it brainwashing, for lack of a better term. It's similar to the Stockholm effect, uh, Stockholm mm-hmm. Syndrome. There's a new movie that's out on Netflix. Um, I think it's called Stockholm. But, you know, basically it comes from a bank robbery in the 70s, whereas the bank robber uh, holds a teller hostage, threatens to kill her, and then she ends up falling in love with him. <laughs> um, mm. So it's just this mental form of coping. It's a it's a coping skill, basically. And that's basically what happens to the children. Um, in these types of situations, the alienating parent will fabricate a scenario, whereas the targeted parent is the villain uh, the child becomes the victim in this fabricated scenario. So she leaves you and her small children, right. goes away for six years, and comes back and tries to come back into their life with a force, begins to start talking with the children and and getting them to see her side of things and maybe twisting the story to say that she didn't leave. That was the beginning of the manipulation. Yes, I guess you could kind of say that's that was the beginnings of it when she first left. Uh, in these situations, there's a there's a false narrative, and the kids are triangulated, which basically is just a psychological term for involving them into adult mind games, mm-hmm. um, and then they're used as pawns. They're used as court weapons and so forth. So in my case. My ex was not completely out of the picture for those six years. She wasn't physically around, but she would still talk to the kids on the phone and and stuff like that. So, I, she had a presence. She had a presence, yes, and and she would still see them, you know, like during the summer or during Christmas. She just wasn't in their daily lives. So the times that she would spend with them, I, little little did I know at the time that she was kind of slowly brainwashing them over the period of that six years as she would have dealings with them. And she would uh, spend one-on-one time with them and just kind of pamper them and and in the process, uh, you know, fill their heads with, with fabrications that may have had a seed of truth but um, were, you know, blown way out of proportion and portrayed to be something that they were not. 
hence the crux of what parental alienation is. Exactly. So. Yes. Department of Family Children Services were called a couple of times, false allegations, um, saying that our house was unfit, that we were abusive, that we were drug addicts. You call the police on us, child protection services. We got the school involved, even animal control. I mean, it's just a horrible experience. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a financial nightmare. It's a legal nightmare because it raises all these allegations against you. You have to hire attorneys to prove your innocence. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the legal part of it and how a legal system wouldn't go in there and protect you being the parent that really was the caregiver for the majority of the children's lives. Well, the thing is about the legal system is, you know, on the front end of that battle are attorneys. And, you know, um, unfortunately, most of these attorneys are more interested in money than they are justice. You know, you can hire an attorney and pay them a few thousand dollars and they can fabricate documentations and do things that will give you legal leverage to take your kids away, unfortunately. And in my case, this has been going on for four and a half years. We still haven't gone to court. It's uh, It's been under a temporary order. And so that's what the attorneys do is they they create this wedge with this temporary order that it, it, they're not really doing this on purpose. They're doing it because they're getting paid to do it. But it's enabling the alienating parent that leverage uh, to remove the children from the lives of the targeted parent. And therefore it gives them that leverage to, you know, for the brainwashing uh, to occur. And in my case, it's been four and a half years and, you know, by so the, you've not seen your three children for four and a half years? Um, no. Kind of the way this thing works is the oldest child leads the way because the alienating parent has the most leverage with the oldest child. Because once the child turns 14, they can make their own decisions. Mm-hmm. And when I say their own decisions, it's not really their own decisions. It's the enmeshed decisions of the alienating parent, but it's coming out of the child's mouth as if it's their own decision. And then the court doesn't want to split up the children. So if you can manipulate the oldest child into, you know, going with the flow, so to speak, then the other children will just kind of follow suit. That's just how the law works. Mm. Um, So to answer your question, I have not had any contact other than email, which, um, is just very minimal, uh, responses and not, um, not very welcoming responses, uh, from my oldest daughter. Now she's 17. Um, she was 13 at the time uh, that this occurred. So, uh, she'll be a legal adult by the time we even go to court, but no contact. Like I said, other than the emails, I, I send her per- periodic emails because they won't give me her phone number. I have no other way of contacting her. Um, she refuses to visitation. She's been made to believe that I'm not her biological father. She's been made believe wow. that, that her new stepmother is into voodoo and has placed some kind of spell on her and um, just all kinds of crazy stuff. Now, these types of things seem crazy to me and you. But to a 13-year-old child, when they're hearing it coming from their own parent who they love and long for, keeping in mind in this case, um, my children's mother had been out of the picture for six years, like I explained, not not completely, but, but mostly. 
And so they long. And she was able to plant seeds along the way. Yes. Right. But they longed to be with her. It's right. not that they weren't happy with me. They just missed their mom and wanted to have yes. a closer relationship with their mom. So when mom comes back into the picture and has fabricated this story that they're in some kind of danger, and then now mom appears to be the hero, um, you know, they, they go with that. They're kids. They don't. They believe their parent. They they don't doubt. They don't question. They just believe it's true, and they go with yes. that flow, which makes perfect sense. I I I understand that. And so when it drags out for four and a half years, and, you know, in in my case, and in other cases as well, my case is is pretty typical. In fact, um, there's a lot of cases that are way more severe than mine. Um, you know, basically in this type of situation, the alienating parent will take a seed of truth and then fabricate lies around it. So I could go on and on about all these. Like the voodoo thing. They're, I mean, you and I are both Christians. I know that your wife is a Christian as well. She's not into voodoo. But what, like. There's no seed of, there's no there's seed, seed of truth, truth. there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, no, not. Yeah. Um, I'm, that was a complete fabrication. You know, God is weird, you know, but yeah. In In a lot of cases, there would be a seed of truth. Like. One example, my oldest daughter uh, in seventh grade, uh, she was homeschooled. Now, prior to this, she had been wanting to be homeschooled for years. And we you know, kept saying that we weren't really ready to, to be homeschool parents, you know, because mm -hmm. of no, work obligations <laughs> and so forth. But she had friends that were homeschooled. So we said, tell you what, if you still want to be homeschooled by the time you hit seventh grade, because that's a turning point in homeschool where – the child has more responsibilities that the parent has less responsibilities to be the teacher. They have an online teacher and the child has a laptop and you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's just uh, more responsibilities more on the, self led on that, on their end. Exactly. So we kind of made a little side deal. We said, if you still want to be um, homeschooled by the time you get to the seventh grade, then we'll, we'll try it for a year. You know, we didn't want to do all three children that way, but we were willing to allow her to try it. And part of that was her mother lived 500 miles away. So part of that deal, and we even discussed this with her mother, that if she was homeschooled, she would have more flexibility to visit her mother more. And she could go stay mm -hmm. a couple of weeks at a time. And as long as she kept up with her school, everything would be fine. So this was a joint decision. My daughter instigated it. And we all kind of agreed. And it was a a co-parenting situation with my ex as well. But that somehow got turned around, you know, during the time that she's being homeschooled, she may be asked to take out the trash or, you know, Hey, can you make your brother a peanut butter sandwich or whatever the case may be that got <laughs> twisted into, I pulled her out of school to make her like my personal nanny, my personal, uh, maid, you know? Mm. So that's not true. But you could go back to that seed of truth and to this 13-year-old girl, she starts believing it, you know. And there's there's a list of other, I don't know if that's the best story to tell, but there's a lot of other things like that. And any one in itself seems kind of insignificant. But when you fill the kid's head with a bunch of these things, uh, they turn against. And, you know, ultimately what happens they develop an enmeshment, a psychological enmeshment with the uh, alienating parent. And so they start believing. The, the alienating parent 
is basically reenacting their own childhood trauma. And so they're fabricating this scenario and they have these delusions and the child starts believing those delusions. They form an alliance. Um, it's called a cross-generational alliance because it's crossing over generation instead of having the typical parental hierarchy where you have uh, mom and dad at the top of the hierarchy and child at the bottom of the hierarchy. Instead, it gets flipped. So you have the alienating parent and the enmeshed child become, they take on the role of the parents. And then the targeted parent no longer has any authority, and they're basically at the bottom of the totem pole, and they're worthless, according to this particular hierarchy. So as the child develops this alliance with the one parent, they develop a cross-generational coalition with the opposite parent. And they take on the persecutory delusions persecutory meaning, you know, persecution, you know, in other words, how dare you pull me out of school and make me your nanny kind of thing, you know? Yes. Um, so then there becomes all this anger and the child doesn't know how to process that because by nature they're designed to love their parent, but they're being taught to hate their parent. So in order to cope with it, they have to develop an emotional cutoff. An emotional cutoff is what occurs, um, you know, to people, um, narcissistic type, uh, psychotic behavioral patterns. These are the type of people who would, you know, maybe go into the school and shoot 16 people or whatever. Um, Mm. you don't, you're not just born with an emotional cutoff. A traumatic event has to cause it. So that's basically what's happening is, um, these children are being emotionally erased from their loving parent. And even though the loving parent is reaching out and reaching out and reaching out, you know, we try to go through the court system. We don't have any luck. We try to go through the mental health system. We don't have any luck. We do everything we can to connect with our children. And, um, you know, we're just being obstructed or denied. Or And that's so, why it's taken four and a half years. Exactly. Now, so with the two younger kids, I understand the oldest is probably going to be the most brainwashed and the most basically gone. But the two youngers, have you been, the two youngest ones, have you been able to, you know, spend time with them, sort of have them still have a relationship of any kind uh, in these last four and a half years? Yes. Um, basically, when they become 14 is when they become completely erased. It's hard for the alienating parent to completely erase them prior because of non-custodial visitation rights. They have to kind of play the game a little bit and allow some visitation because they're under the microscope of the court. They still have an open case. You know, they can't be full-blown alienating. They have to make the appearance as though they're trying to encourage the relationship when really it's the opposite. Right. So what happens is once they turn 14, basically at that point it's like, oh, well, well, they just don't want to see you anymore. You know, they don't like you. They don't like your wife. And everything that comes out is basically the viewpoint of the ex, not of the actual child. But it's spoken. So if they do visit, they know that it's it's a forced visit right now is what it's been the last four, four Uh, and a half years. Well, I don't know that I would call it a forced visit. My my situation is a little bit more unique than most people's because uh, most people in the situation that I'm in, didn't have the luxury of being a single parent for six years. So, Mm. um, during the six years that 
that I was a single parent, you know, I was also a soccer coach and, you know, I participate as a chaperone on field day and I was just very active in my children's lives. We were very uh, active in church. I was a youth leader, you know, just basically our whole lifestyle was family oriented. Mm -hmm. So my children, luckily, you know, got to see that side of me for those six years. So there's two types of alienated children. There's, um, you could call them A and B, if you will. Um, Say type A believes the lies and type B just kind of goes along with them as the path of least resistance. My oldest believes the lies and my uh, other two children basically have just kind of gone along with them as the path of least resistance. Yeah. So we do spend time together. Now they're 500 miles away from me. Um, the The opportunities are few and far between. I have to wait till school breaks. So I only have about four opportunities a year. You know, we've got spring break, summer, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. When they're on school break is about the only times I can see them. And then I'm going to be obstructed or denied those four times. So I'm lucky if I am able to land about two of those. Oh. So, but I do get... And they come up with some excuse, the, the, the mom does, some excuse to keep them from those other two visits? Uh, it's just any obstacle that you could throw in the way. Um, okay. You know, it would be like, well, I don't know. I have to check my work schedule or... I don't know. Because I you have no to... legal right. Is that it? Like it's all she has all authority and you have. Right. We're under a, a temporary order. And a, I had the, the very first Christmas and the very first spring break was built into our custody order. And then after that, I have no um, no actual visitation. But like I said, she'll kind of go along and um, allow some visitation just, you know, under the coaching of her attorney and in a an appearance that she's trying to do right. Um, she does cooperate with some visitation. It's just few and far between. It's like pulling teeth to, to make it a reality. So um, this is such a sad, sad thing because now it's four and a half years later that you've missed out on the day to day with your children. They've been brainwashed. And so this is life. We can't rewind. We can't redo. Right. We can't get those years back. So how in the world is this even possible? Like I said in the beginning, like in America, it just seems so wrong. Like how is this, ha- how is this able to happen? I know you said that attorneys, you know, money and all that kind of stuff, but why don't people know more about this? Is this something that happens like is this a big thing that's going on that people don't know about? I mean, yes, it's it's a major epidemic. There's over 22 million cases in the United States alone. There's probably more than that. Those are just known. Um, and when you say 22 million cases, you're talking about 22 million families that consist of two parents and 2.4 children, or whatever the national average is. So, you know, you're looking at a massive amount. Um, it's somebody that you know. It's somebody that you go to church with. Uh, it's happening all around. We just don't see it. And if we do see it, we don't acknowledge it for what it is because we're believing the lies. Um, right. It, it's based on fabrication. So if there's a, and it's not, in my case, uh, you know, there's a female that's doing the alienating and I'm a male. Uh, and a lot of, you know, there's, there's uh, father's rights movements and stuff like that. I don't really subscribe to that type of thing because I don't believe that we should segregate the fathers from the mother because 
I could go into more detail, but you know, basically there's four types of parent child relationships. You have mother, son, mother, daughter, father, son, father, daughter, and one is not any more important than the other. So although it may be a little bit more common for the, the female to be doing the alienating, um, there's tons of cases where the male is doing the alienating as well. So it could go either way. So rather than screaming father's rights, I scream uh, parental rights. I think that's really good and coming from the right place because it's a human problem. It's an issue with unresolved childhood trauma, really. It's a person that never got to figure out their own issues. The, the reason it's such a widespread epidemic is because of the multiplication principle of it being passed from generation to generation. For example, you know, we have an ex-wife who has some um, caregiver issues, let's say. Well, if we were to dig you know, a little bit backwards, we would see that a lot of that had to do with her mother. You know, we could just continue following it uh, throughout the family tree. When it's happening to you, you feel like you're on a Jerry Springer episode. But when you sit back and observe it, you can look at other people's cases, for example, and you go, oh, it's so clear. I see what's going on. I see the the sickness that this alienating parent have. I have you know, empathy for them. Uh, uh, I want to help them, but I can't because I've been made the enemy, you know? Right. And then you can see how the court system thrives on it. Um, these cases uh, make up about 90% of the income for the family courts. Wow. So it's big, big business, billions of dollars. Oh my um, gosh. There's a, there's a Netflix documentary called Divorce Corp, C-O-R-P, uh, that talks about it. actually a, a friend of mine, um, Wendy, I think she was Wendy Archer at the time. She had a different last name. She's one of the the people that they kind of follow her story and so forth. And she's a big activist out in Texas right now and, and getting a lot of great things done um, for reform. But anyways, uh, yeah, it, it happens all around. It's happening to people that you know. But it's under disguise. This is the wolf in sheep's clothing. It's 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 in camouflage. It appears to be something that it's not. So if you were to look at my case, you know, you have two attorneys that are kind of going back and forth, and you have this judge just kind of sitting in the middle. And so the judge goes, well, we're going to appoint a guardian ad litem to the case to be a neutral third-party intermediary, so to speak, on behalf of the children. That adds a few thousand dollars to the equation, and it drags your case out for a couple of more years for evaluations. And basically, the guardian asked your children, you know, do you have food in the fridge at mom's house? Do you have clean uniforms to wear uh, to school? You know, it'll go down a little checklist, and then that guardian will determine, well, everything seems okay to me, you know. They're not looking at the psychological aspect no. of the child being brainwashed. Of course and, not. Our our country is now just just giving credence to mental health issues with all the shootings. Right? It's just now coming to the forefront. So this, yeah, yeah this isn't surprising. And it would be interesting. Every time I see something like that on the news, my first thought is, I wonder what this person's child life was like. Yeah. Did they absolutely. come from a split home? You know, were they alienated from a loving parent? Because how does it does someone like that develop a, such an emotional cutoff? How how could you be so non empathetic right. to to do something like that? 
um, there had to have been something traumatic happened to these people that caused this mental state. And, and I'm not saying a hundred percent of the time it's parental alienation, but that would be the first place I would look. Yeah. You're, you're now seeing with new eyes with like, just discovering like, wow. And, and I wanted to, to, to kind of slide in here and say, you know, so much about this. I understand because you're passionate, you know, in and of itself because it's happened to you personally, but you seem very knowledgeable on it. So uh, how, how do you know so much like the, the legal terms, all of that, like, well, um, for a second. when this first happened to me or to my family, I should say, um, you know, I was in complete shock and I didn't know what to do and I didn't know where to turn. And so, you know, your first instinct is to hire an attorney, <laughs> And then you realize, you start getting into this and you start realizing there's really no justice here. The system is stacked against, you know, it's it's not uh, innocent until proven guilty in family court. It's guilty right. until proven innocent. Yes. So I hate to say this, but anybody could make a false accusation against somebody for child abuse and create this scenario and it could drag out for you know, tens of thousands. I know people that have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on fighting this kind of thing. Basically, it depends on um, how much you make as to how much it's going to cost you. Wow. Because uh, they ask for your financial statements up front. You know, I'm not saying that that's a, a particular plot, but at the same time, they are asking for your financial statements and they basically milk you for all they can. It just drags out and drags out. But anyways, once I started realizing this and then I, I just started researching it, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I just, I couldn't get it off my mind. I couldn't sleep at night. I had to do something about it. And so I needed to become more aware because our ultimate enemy here is ignorance. And yes. I don't mean that in a degrading way. I just mean it in the lack of knowledge. If the enemy is lack of knowledge, then you fight it with knowledge, you know? So I got to realizing that as I would talk to people in the mental health profession, they didn't know anything about this. As I would talk to attorneys, they didn't know anything about this, or maybe they'd heard of it, but they're not going to jump on the train and fight for you. And I've gone through multiple attorneys, ultimately end up in a self-representation situation because you just can't afford to pay $200 an hour for an attorney to be on your case for four or five years, it's just, it's not affordable. Um, so in the process, I just uh, self-educated off the internet. Uh, there is a psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Craig Childress, uh, C-H-I-L-D-R-E-S-S, -S, and he's out of California and making uh, tremendous leaps and bounds progress to the psychological uh, remedy, you know, providing a psychological solution. And he's also uh, instrumental with, I mentioned Wendy earlier. Her last name is Perry, Wendy Perry. I believe she was previously Wendy Archer, but they uh, do a lot of work together and they have uh, created a pilot program for the court systems. There's only one of its kind right now, and that's in Houston, Texas. But there is a movement for this, and there's a lot of efforts being made. And if if somebody's listening to this right now and they feel feel alone, uh, I mean, there's Facebook, Facebook groups. Uh, there's all kinds of support out there. I'm sorry if I get a little emotional, but no, please. 
but there's support. Um, and so I started realizing that, you know, hey, I'm not alone here, which kind of ties into your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then I started realizing, wow, this is happening all around me. I know people. I literally go to church with people. I go to lunch with people who are experiencing the same thing, but they don't express it because it's kind of embarrassing. You're you're being accused of being a, a child abuser or a drug addict or an alcoholic or or adulterous or whatever it is that you're being accused of. And it's not true, but it's embarrassing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And your kids have been taken away. And so then the public kind of looks at you like, well, you must've did something bad if your kids were taken away. You know, you know, you don't have a relationship with them. You must be a, a inadequate parent, you know? And so, and then you get tired of having to explain it to everybody. You know, when you, see somebody at the grocery store, how's the kids? You know, you just say, oh, they're fine. And you just keep going because you don't want to have to get into a two hour conversation every time. You know? So basically what happened with me is, um, I felt like, you know, part of my primary, uh, divine purpose was to be a father to my children. And then I just felt robbed of that mm-hmm. purpose and restricted. So I had to kind of shift my energies to be an, an advocate um, for awareness and reform. And it gave me another purpose. It was the way I dealt with it. Um, a lot of parents will turn to uh, targeted parents like myself will become manically depressed, uh, suffer PTSD type symptoms. Uh, a lot of them turn to drugs and alcohol or maybe both. Um, some of them are suicidal. I'm in all these different Facebook groups and it's so common. It's it's so sad because I know when Father's Day comes, somebody's going to commit suicide, mm. or Christmas or Thanksgiving. You're going to read about it, and you're going to say, "Oh, so and so just took his own life because he couldn't." And mm. I'm just saying, him. It could be a it could be a female. a female. And and I've seen uh, murder suicides to where the say the targeted parent might have actually prevailed in court. And there's one particular case where. Um, the mom was the alienating parent and she ended up losing custody because justice was actually served in one of those rare uh, cases. And she killed her child and killed herself. Oh gosh. And you know, if, if, if I can't control this, then nobody will kind of thing, you know? Mm. And it's just so sad because it's, you're, it's basically an emotional prison for, the alienating parent, but it's also an emotional prison for the targeted parent, the child. It extends to the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, the, the neighbors. It affects everybody, you know. Uh, yeah. You go from having one particular lifestyle that's involved uh, with your family to the next day, they're, they're erased. And you know, it's kind of like you're mourning the loss of a loved one, but they're still alive. So it's yeah, it's a real um, awkward situation to be in. Um, my mom passed a cancer, and I miss her, and I love her, and I think about her all the time. But I know that she passed a cancer. I know she's gone. You know, mm-hmm. I know I can't pick up the phone and call her because she's not alive anymore. And I know that I'll be reunited with her at some point. But my children are different. They're they're like 500 miles away. I could literally jump in the car, and in eight hours, I could be there. But mm-hmm. I don't have any uh, access to them. 
Um, now I do because have my uh, my middle two children's phone number, and I I text them pretty regularly. I call them pretty regularly. I send them pictures pretty regularly. Constantly, you know, reaching out, and they're receiving them. They're just not responding. Mm. And part of that too is I'm sure that uh, you know being monitored. Yeah, that would be my that would be my hunch. <laughs> Well, the great thing is, is that you have the Lord. And even yes. though this is a painful, painful thing to go through, we know that throughout the Bible, the people that are highlighted have gone through some of the most painful, crazy situations. And um, I believe, as you said, too, that you, um, one of your purposes in this life is to bring awareness to this issue and it's sad when it when something like this has to come out of pain, but some of the biggest and best movements come out of pain. Yes. You know, what's coming to my mind right now is, um, what is it, um, Moms Against Drunk Driving or something like that. Right, um, mad. Mad, yeah. And, you know, that woman, I think, lost, I don't know the story, but I'm thinking, you know, this mom, original person, must have lost someone that she loved dearly. Exactly. And it comes from, you know, sometimes the pit of pain. Um, yeah. And it, it reminds me of the Bible verse that says, uh, you know, all things for good. And yes, I will work all things for good. And when I think of that, you know, the word all just really jumps out because it doesn't say some things for good or just like, you know, a few things for good. It says, all things for good. So if you hang on to that belief, then you have to believe that there's good that's going to come, you know, from this pain, from this suffering. Um, and, I, and I believe it wholeheartedly. And I know that there's going to be a day that I'm reunited, um, you know, with my oldest daughter. And I'm just so fortunate that I was able to maintain some degree of relationship with my other two children. Um, I just saw them. Uh, over the summer, I was able to um, to see them. I saw my son for like five days, and then I was able to take my youngest daughter for two weeks. And we wow. spent two weeks together, and we did all kinds of fun things and took a lot of pictures and made a lot of memories. And, and you know, we'll continue to do that type of thing. It's just going to be few and far between. Um, when I'm not around, uh, they refer to me as John. You know, when I'm around, they refer to me as dad, but in their mother's presence, they refer to me as John instead of dad, you know, so it's, it's a weird awkwardness. Whenever there's an exchange, they won't be affectionate, um, you know, in front of their mother, if, if I'm picking them up or whatever. But then whenever we get off on our own, it's just like, we just picked up where we left off. It's just, um, so I'm very fortunate. There's other targeted parents who are completely erased from their children for years and years and, and their children grow up and become adults and, and they're still erased, you know, mm. um, they never reconcile, you know, those are like the more extreme cases, but they exist. They're very common. I, I know tons of people, um, through these Facebook support groups and stuff that are in that exact situation. And, um, so yeah. I'm just trying to be an advocate for the, for the movement of reform in general. I'm so glad that you brought awareness, you know, anybody out there that's going through this, 
I'm going to have John give us um, websites and names of people or books that you can reference. Sure. And also, if you're a praying person, if you're a Christian, this is something to really come together as a community, really as a nation, as, as the world, you know, to pray for this, to pray over this, because hidden under all kinds of legal stuff. and Yeah, it's and an really, epidemic, but it's under disguise, so it's not what it appears to be. Yes. And it's so evil. It just feels like there's just evil at the, you know, very core of it. And also for anybody else that may be going through this, you know, we, we perceive our ex as being evil because they're the, the prosecutor on the other end. They're the ones that are creating this terrible scenario. And that's the way I used to feel about my ex, but I had to come to terms with the fact that she's sick and I had to turn that anger into empathy. Yes. And that's the only way that you can really make a difference in terms of intercessory prayer on their behalf, because they don't necessarily realize that they're sick. They're not going to go to the doctor or to the psychiatrist and say, Hey, I've got borderline personality disorder or, or I'm narcissistic or I'm non-empathetic or, I have an emotional cutoff. <laughs> they're not yeah. going to announce that. Instead, you know, they're living this behind this facade. And it appears as though they're just a normal person working a, a normal job, struggling to be a single parent, doing the best they can for their children. They they appear to be good on the surface. And and they really are good, but they have this sickness. Um and so you, you just have to acknowledge that. So, you know, if somebody's going through this and they're carrying that anger, that anger, oh, man, it can eat you up. And mm-hmm. so you have to let it go. And and the only way I was able to let it go is to pray for my ex. And that was like a very hard thing for me to do. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's it, it's um, it's the only way I was able to experience freedom Yes, for yourself, absolutely. It's just like Jesus with his prosecutors on the cross, and you know, and he says, "Forgive them, for they know not what they do." It's unfortunate because you assume when somebody does such a, a heinous act that they know what they're doing, and yeah. and to some degree they do. I mean, I'm not trying to make excuses for their behavior, but at the same time, they're they're coming from a different state of mind. Mm-hmm. And they're not reasoning the way a normal person would reason. And they've been traumatized and it affects the way they they perceive life. So they're literally living in a delusional state. So you have to um, understand that in, in trying to communicate with them and work with them. And so you just have to try to make the best of what you've got to work with and try to minimize the conflict and maximize the opportunities to create memories with your children or whatever the case may be. I mean, there is hope. And prayer is powerful. Yes. Prayer is huge. So wrapping up, can you leave us with some websites, recommendations, reference books, anything that um, someone could get a hold of? Sure. Or if there's any way that if people wanted to ask you questions, would you be opposed to having people contact you? That is fine. My email address is parental alienation scar. That's P A R E N T A L A L I E N A T I O N 
S-K-A-R. The SCAR stands for Support, Knowledge, Awareness, and Reform. So that's kind of what I perceive the uh, the phases. When this happens to you, you first need support, and then you need some knowledge, and then you need to jump on the bandwagon and, and help create awareness, and that leads to reform. So that's the only way we're going to really deal with this as a as a team and getting stuff done. But anybody's welcome to uh, email me at parentalalienationscar at gmail.com. Um, I would be glad to, you know, correspond from there, exchange phone numbers, Facebook or whatever, um, you know, but that could be a good way to instigate a conversation with me. And the most reliable source of information on the Internet, I would personally say, is Dr. Craig Childress. And you can just Google his name. He's got YouTube videos. He's got a website that he does blog. He's got Facebook groups. And he has been the source of of the majority of my knowledge. I've been studying his works for a few years now. There are other people that are involved in, in this reform effort as well. Wendy Perry, um, P-E-R-R-Y, mm-hmm. she is a targeted parent, and uh, she's in Houston, Texas. And she's been alienated from her daughter now, I think, for like 10 years and she's become an advocate for reform, and she's been very instrumental in getting things done. In fact, a lot of people are kind of following in her footsteps and trying to duplicate in other cities what she's done in Houston. And there's some people in the industry that don't necessarily see eye to eye. Originally in the 70s, this was referred to as PAS, which was Parental Alienation Syndrome. And I earlier mentioned Stockholm Syndrome. And basically, they were comparing this to Stockholm Syndrome. And yes, it's it's totally worthy of comparison. But in coining that term, parental alienation syndrome, it kind of made it appear as though it was like some kind of legit diagnosis. And so savvy attorneys were able to debunk that concept because it's not in the mental health medical book, which is called the dsm and they have the latest edition is the fifth edition, so the DSM-5. There's no such thing as parental alienation syndrome according to a DSM-5 diagnosis. So that's just a term that was kind of made up. But it was used against you know people like myself who are trying to create awareness, trying to make us look like idiots by saying there's no such thing as PAS. Show me in the you know the DSM-5 where you can be diagnosed of PAS. There is no such thing, you know. Right. So that was part of what works to our disadvantage in the court system. But Dr. Childress is changing that instead of calling it PAS, which is something that really doesn't necessarily exist. You know, he's looking at it as psychological child abuse. Basically, without going into detail, he has a system of diagnosing and treating this. So there, there is a solution. The only problem is, is the targeted parent doesn't have access to getting their child to therapy or to getting to the other parent to therapy. And on the opposite end of that, it's never going to occur voluntarily. So, but anyways, um, there's there's two aspects. There's the uh, Richard Gardner is is the um, is the one who developed the PAS, you know, a parental alienation syndrome concept. But he's passed away, and he his research was in the seventies. You have some people that kind of lean more towards his view of things, and then you have some people that kind of lean more towards Doctor. Craig Childers view things. They're both fighting for the same thing. They're just they just have a, a slightly different view on what the solution is and you know how to remedy it. And if you really want to dig deep, there's like 
Munichen, Bowen. Uh, there's all these psychiatrists way back from decades ago that studied family system hierarchies and uh, attachment disorders and stuff. And that's all this is. So it's nothing new. You know, it's just been in, under disguise for so long. You know, anytime I hear somebody say something about, oh, well, you know, this child's father's not in the picture. He's he's a loser or, you know, he, he doesn't yeah. have anything to do with his daughter or whatever. I'm just making that up. Then my mind automatically thinks, I wonder what the other side of that story is, you know, because... exactly. Now, I'm not saying that people don't abandon their children, but I'm just saying that I could not ever personally abandon my children. And I don't see how anybody would do that voluntarily without something interfering, causing that to happen. Whether it be their own childhood trauma, their own feelings of inadequacy, or maybe um, an alienating parent. There's all kinds of different examples. You know, bottom line is, is children are being brainwashed and relationally removed from loved ones is, is what it all boils down to. So crazy. Yeah. I'm so thankful that you came and talked to me about this. This is so huge and that you're not the only one. I mean, yeah, truly, totally. because it's happened as to everyone, I think, honestly, yeah, on some level, if, if, if just a little bit to just like massive. I mean, even like I said, if you're still living with both parents in the house, that can happen with both parents being married. And I know a person that grew up in a family where the mom would seek out the younger child to manipulate and say, keep this secret and then talk to the older child and say, um, you know, don't say this to your younger sibling. You know, it's like, it was weird. Like it, there was no reason for it. It was just right. manipulation. Yeah. I've, and I've, I've, I hear parents, like we went to lunch with a divorced friend of ours from church and, and her child was pouting. And she said, uh, that's your daddy face, put on your mommy face, you know, uh, and just little yeah. comments like that really bother me. She didn't really mean anything to buy it. She's not alienating her child. But at the same time, there's a degree of brainwashing there. You know, to associate your bad habits with your father, your good habits came from your mother. <laughs> yeah. Whenever you do talk bad about your child's other parent, you have to understand that's half of their root system. So you're really degrading the child. You might not intend to. You might be mad at the other parent for cheating on you or whatever the case may be that caused your divorce or whatever. And you might be retaliating and you might not mean anything by it. But whenever you say, you know, your other parent is a piece of crap or whatever, really what you're saying to the child is half of your root system came from a piece of crap. So therefore, yeah. you're partially a piece of crap, you know? Yeah. Oh. That's the way the child hears it and uh yeah. and i hear things going on just in normal society where these kind of comments are made and they're not extreme cases of parental alienation like what we're talking about but still it, it bothers me because there's there's some psychological manipulation there and that's just such an evil uh seed to plant in someone's head you know Yes, it is. Therein lies why people are insecure about who they are in their very identity. That's why we need to put our entire identity in Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because we do that, then we come from perfection, you know, but, you know, not everybody knows yeah. about Jesus and not everybody, you know, I mean, even Christians. I mean, I, I can say that I really started seeking out my identity in the last year in my identity in Christ because my identity in my parents 
and in myself was so flawed. And that's what I just kept going back to and wondering why I was so depressed or wondering why I was so, you know, insecure about going for my dreams. And it's like, well, because you're putting your, all of your faith and trust in yourself and not in the, into the one who created you right. has the purpose lined up for you and can help you on that walk. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, John, for joining us today. And I, I am so excited to get this out there and make awareness to everybody on this subject because it's very important. Yes. Thank you so much for uh, placing the spotlight on it. Absolutely. Good luck with everything and God bless you. Thank you. Sunshine, I'm driving, radios playing Aerosmith and I left you in the rear view. If you enjoyed today's episode and you'd like to leave a comment, you can do so by using our voice message link. Simply click on the link and talk away. I would love to hear from you. Let me know how today's episode impacted you. And if you have any ideas for future episodes that you'd like to hear talked about, please leave those comments as well. My heart is to help you feel seen and heard, especially in times where you feel overwhelmingly alone and isolated in your situation or circumstance. I want to speak life into you, and hopefully the stories and situations brought about on this podcast will reframe your own way of thinking. That's what people did for me in my lowest moments, and I want to pass that wisdom along. Fear and doubt are from the pit of hell, I always say. I have wasted plenty of years worrying and doubting about my life. I started this podcast to help you not make the same mistakes. Thank you for your listenership and please subscribe. It really helps my message have a further reach. Here's a priceless nugget that was given to me long ago. Matthew 6:33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God bless you. And remember, Jesus loves you so much more than you could ever believe. Here I go, oh baby, here I go Gonna find myself on an open road Be me